You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This is Tanya Pinkins, and you are listening to my podcast, You Can't Say That, on the Broadway Podcast Network. My next guest picked my chin off the floor after 10 weeks in post-production on my debut feature film, Red Pill, which had taken 10 weeks to write and cast and get in the can. He told me that filmmaking was a boys club and that I had three strikes against me. One, I was black. Two, I was female. Three, I was over 50. But he wanted to help me. His honesty and forthrightness was so refreshing. Welcome, Brian Devine, co-founder of Gigantic Music and Gigantic Films. Sorry, I talked over That's your... That's okay. It doesn't your, matter. ...your byline there. It's so all good. I was just trying to give your... your Add some in a world where peace people are both fierce and unstoppable. Can you guess what my, my guest does? Can you guess what line of work he's in? In a world. His name is Brian Devine. And he is the founder, co-founder of a... Movie studio? A question movie mark, studio, question mark, question Gigantic mark? Pictures. And Gigantic Studios and Gigantic Pictures. They are sister companies. I could go into that. And I, again, I almost just want to like, do over, do over. But um, <laughs> you can't. They will the, edit everything. Oh, they will make it sound so good. I know, but it's just I've talked over you twice. And I think there's three and then I get thrown out a window. No, so. there, everything. We talk over. We let talk over happen. I have sometimes multiple people and we talk. I'm very into sound. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm a very aural person. In fact, most of the time when I'm watching things on streaming, I'm looking at a different screen. I'm really listening to things. I like um, whatever they call L cuts, J cuts. I like sound to lead me to the next thing. I like sound to start before the next thing. How'd you get into sound, Brian? I love the inside baseball on some of <laughs> So, um, well, it's it's interesting because I've always been of two brains at once. Uh, I started on uh, piano when I was forced on it when I was six. And so I was had sounds in my head that I was trying to translate through instrumentation from a very young age and then I found my dad's super 8 camera in the basement when I was 11 begged my mom for film and then just became the little Spielberg of the neighborhood for fun and then uh got into the electric guitar when my parents would finally caved to my incessant asking for one around the age of 12 and that got me into becoming a recordist, a home recordist for for songs that I would write. So I started as a uh, like a like a little rock and roll kid with a four track and an eight track and a sixteen track and a twenty four track, and finally ended up with at the end of that long rainbow, having been in bands, long hair, short hair, you name the length of hair. Did a whole run in in my early life working in movies in L.A. and then being in bands at night on the Sunset Strip in my twenties. And then ended up in Greenwich Village in the mid-90s and started Gigantic Music Division, which okay. was a recording studio and a record label in 98, 99, and that, around that time. And that was when sound became a professional thing, where we were recording albums by Passion Pit and The Walkman and all these wonderful bands. And then uh, the music business ate itself, and music became something that you cannot independently market, and every band really should just be their own company. Like, What do you mean by that? 
You're talking uh, about 98? Well, it, we didn't it, have Napster yet, did we? No, no, no. I, I'm saying uh, life life moves very quickly. I've been in New York City now for 23 years. And okay. so I have lived and died many uh, uh, a career in the city. But concurrent through all of that was the gigantic pictures and then gigantic studios world. And so this is the most roundabout answer because how I got into sound is different than how I got into the You had sounds in your head. I want to know about the sounds yeah. that were in your head. Were they songs in your head? What do you mean there were sounds in your head when you were five, six? Well, you know, the furniture would talk to me and tell me. No, um, the... I was believing. Yeah, well, um, I. it's difficult to get music out when you're little, I guess. Some people have this sort of, like, it all just flows. But for me, the piano was a stopgap. I could, what I had in me, I couldn't make it. So it's like you were hearing orchestral things and the piano just didn't have enough. Was You needed a synthesizer already because you were hearing um, more more notes than you could make? Yes and no. To some degree, I had, I had symphonic thoughts in my head, but I also had melodies and things that my fingers weren't naturally uh, relating to. And I always felt that my expressive instrument was the guitar and then I finally got one and within six months I was better on the guitar than I was in nine years on the piano Mm. so it was like one was not built for me and one was an extension of me Mm. and you know because we have time I'm gonna take a little tangent and I'm still by the end of the podcast I'll answer your first question of the podcast okay but um and it's Part of, I think, our spiritual connect. We're new friends here, but it happens sort of fast and furious, and and it's a delight here to be able to talk to you about our our budding friendship. But it it stems a lot from a spirituality or a a sense that we are part of a an organized organism or greater something greater than mm-hmm. than any of our individual aspirations. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that seems to me to be sort of a proof of that, uh, it, God is a loaded term, but the existence of an organizing principle here is that the 12-note scale of music, it's very simple, it's very basic, and all living creatures understand it. Animals react to it, babies grow smarter in the womb, plants grow better in the presence of Mozart. It is, in my opinion, for lack of a better term, God's language. It was, mm. It's something understood by all living creatures. It's very simple, it translates to everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter your level of education, you can study it, but sometimes it just flows out of you, almost as if you're a spigot or a conduit mm-hmm. or a reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, so these sort of decomposing carcasses that we've been handed with this limited time frame are sort of gifted with the momentary loan of creativity, the sort of the 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 mechanism of from beyond. I think of it as like I'm a receiver, like it's coming through me. You know what I mean? Like I have to sometimes just stop and like receive the information. Like, don't talk to me. Like it's coming down. I got to take notes. (laughs) Agreed. I just had eaten all the oxygen in the room talking nonstop for 20 (laughs) minutes. Excuse me. That, um, I was really happy to have you speak for a second. So, um, but and he's we got are, a bourbon over there. I want you to know. Oh yeah, he wanted gone. a cough drop, but he settled for bourbon. Well, you know, I'm a very <laughs> rock and roll man. I may be a movie studio by day, rock and roller by night. Um, but so that became uh, my expression. That was despite my sort of Irish Blarney and nonstop wordsmithery, 
um, I could still be more articulate with my feelings, my heart voice, if you will, through that instrument. And did you bring us some music so we could play some you of know, your guitar? Because I've heard you're great, and I did ask you to send us uh, you did, some and I, guitar. And I already left. I don't know if, if but you, you're going to send it so that we can, can handle put it some... in post. I'll send you an yes. assortment, and you can pick through any of it. I'll Sounds send it good. All stuff that I own because we got to so hear some of the sound. Yeah, you don't have to worry about licensing. Yeah, you'll I send us a release it. too. I will. I will. I'll sign, I'll sign anything for you. Okay. I, um, checkbook? Got a uh, checkbook here? Uh, you would not be excited if you saw what's in my checking account. You'd be like, oh. Savings account? Yeah. Stocks? Stocks, bonds, German bear bonds. Um, yeah, I travel almost exclusively in Beanie Babies. I think they're going to hold their value. It's my main currency. Damn, I throw them away. Yeah. So, um so that's so that getting so that language. That, so tell me about your family seeing you suddenly. They wanted you to be a piano player, and you finally get this guitar at twelve, and then you're playing. What was their response to that? Well, it is a, a weird collision because my parents are mad cool and they love rock and roll, and their musical taste is fantastic. My 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 dad still is like you know, going to rock concerts. He saw like Tom Petty the week before he died, like first row. He's like one of those like bucket list. Now I'm going to see, you know, I'm going to, you know, sit in Eddie Vedder's lap for the next one. Like I have no idea, but he just is, they're absorbing great music. So my dad's record collection, when he would go to way to work was meticulously organized, alphabetized and all by year and release and everything. And you fucked that up real quick. Oh, oh, (laughs) no. No, I was a clever little bastard. Um, I noticed even at the age of six that when my dad in his OCD would pull an album out to listen to, he would pull the one before and after it alphabetically a little bit out, like an inch out. So he would know to put it away just between those two records, nothing would ever leave place. So when he would go away to work and I would have all that free time, out came the Janis Joplin records and the Credence records and the Coltrane records and whatever I could get a hold of. And I have movies, music from the 50s and all this stuff became the my food. And he never noticed once. I knew exactly how to put them all back. It was as if nothing happened. And um, every once in a while, I'd scratch one and he would, how do those records go? You know, so, Ooh. but uh, I was never caught. I was never, I was uh, too clever. I was mm, far too clever. The cat burglar at heart. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> but that fed me and that was incredible. But there was also this convention of what uh, in a proper society one teaches one's child or whatever. And it was always in the 50s, it was like a sign of you made it when there's a piano in the house, yes. you know, and like p- classical piano was um, how to like build an intellect of a young man or woman. And, um, so it was this understanding that rock and roll was the devil's music, even though that's all they listened to. But it was like somehow low class, long hair, smoking cigarettes behind the gym music. And if you wanted to like go to college, learn the piano. And uh, I did go to college, um, but I really didn't do well at learning the piano. Um, but I was uh, like just had the rock and roll in my heart because it was what I was feeding myself from my dad's own collection. Mm. It's his fault. I did you tell him, him that ever before he died? Mm. Oh, my father is still alive, so you know, please. Oh, uh, yeah, no, no, I thought no, you no. said Tom Petty the day be- week before he died. Tom died. Oh, the week yeah, before Tom, Tom died. Is very dead. Oh. Tom Petty died tragically <laughs> of like uh, an opioid fuck up, and it and it and it's sad. Okay, and God my rest you, and Tom. my and my dad is checking off soon to be dead musicians off his bucket list as quick as possible. Okay, um, so dad alive, hopefully as of this taping. <laughs> God, we didn't kill and, dad. Uh, yeah, okay. and um. 
And his record collection is really to blame for all of my rock and roll tendencies, even as if they were trying to like turn into the skid and, and teach me the piano. Okay. <laughs> but, now, one of the things you've talked about that's been on my mind a lot, it's been coming up for me, you talked a lot about we work and they work. Mm. And that is a big thing for me because, you know, I've been, I, I like young people and I like to help young people. And when young people have projects and they ask me to participate in them, I usually just say, yes, I don't, I just want to help you. If you think that having my name attached or something, I'm going to do it. I want to, I want to, that's the way I get to pay it forward. And um, a great policy that I would encourage. It's just something I, I have done all for the, all the time I've been in this business. And I now found these Gen Z's, they, they, the American Gen Z's, cause I don't find it from anybody anywhere else. They have such a sense of, uh, of entitlement and, what they have a right and what they deserve before they've ever done anything. And I don't think they can understand the difference between an opportunity and a job or um, we work and they work, you know? Um, well, I have, um, <laughs> that's a great question and or topic. And I have, um, I will represent Gen Z in the paper tiger argument first, and then I will get to what I think of as the we, they pivot. Okay. Um, there, uh, there is a central thing to the sort of any creative act, and it's based, based around a world devoid of fear. We've talked about this in private about how you make a safe set or a, a beautiful writing room or whatever it is where you expect that 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 special gift of creativity blossom. So it's to create this beautiful uh, atmosphere. Um, you need a, a world that's like safe and free from fear. Now, young people right now have to have three side hustle jobs and eat from a freaking dumpster, culturally speaking, because... That's not new. No, well, but it is a, is the shit flows downstream. You start, <clears throat> pardon my okay boomer defense, but the boomer's natural conceit is to absorb in natural resources. They're, that's where all the billionaires are. They're absorbing in... Whatever it is, getting all the oil, all of the land rights, all of the whatever it is, it's how it's all uh, an, an in, it, a taking of natural resources. And then you have my generation, our generation, Gen X, who are basically their bag men taking 10 cents on the dollar to protect <laughs> their interests and starting our own fanzines and wishing Kurt Cobain was still alive. And then you have everyone that came after us, by the time what's left, the there is nothing there are no resources left the first generation that's not as wealthy as the ones before it um statistically speaking it is heading in the wrong direction so if you ask somebody to eat from a dumpster get no health insurance and do all these other things and then create a world that is inherently fearful they are going to have their egos enter mm. into the play and to defend themselves they're going to say things that are objectively untrue but are in defense of the whole. That's interesting. And, I, that's, a, that's a good argument for them. I, I'm, I'm feeling maybe a tiny bit more sympathy, but not much. All right. Fair enough. Tiny is enough. <laughs> and, and again, I said it was a straw man argument. I did it for the rhetorical joy of having to defend someone not present to defend themselves. There are many things that are Are you a Gen Z over annoying. there, Britt? Britt's not Gen Z. Okay. Uh, yeah. and, um, and but I don't find it from people who are immigrants. I find that immigrants come here and they think America is still the land of opportunity. They come here, they think that they can do anything, be anything, and they're they're hustling. And the kids who are here now, things get given to them, and that's rare. And they just feel like they can walk away from it. I've got four kids, so you know, and they're Gen I have Zs. Three. Uh, I have three, uh, <laughs> and there is uh, what they call helicopter parenting, and that is where. 
parents come flying in at the slightest little wrinkle to take care of any problems that if it were me and my kid sister, it's just like, get back by dark, don't be dead. And then that's it. Like play with the sharp stick and the snake and the running traffic. It doesn't matter. No one's watching. Now, like someone said something that upset the kid. Now they're getting fired and everybody's screaming oh, and there's meetings. And my parents barely knew I existed. My mm. mom was just going to get some food on the table. Dad worked a thousand hours a week. Saw him 10 minutes if I was lucky. Like different world. Yeah. So helicopter parenting, it is a, it is a two-part process that takes two to do be the bad parent. Uh, by overprotection. And then there is the baby bird thing, which is I'm just going to chew it up and spit it in your mouth. You don't have to go get it. <laughs> and so like that is also on, it, it, I would always blame parents I'm for a, I'm a children's little guilty bad of that. behavior. I had to do a little tough parenting this week. My daughter got her electricity cut off and I was like, I'm not helping. Right. I That's pay the good. rent for you. You yeah. got to do that yourself. And it was, it was hard for me. I had to have a lot of talks with friends it was really hard for you me. You did the right thing. If you don't feel the hot breath on the back of your neck that forces you to run, you will never learn how to run. You'd throw a bird out of a nest, to, not because you don't love the bird, but if it never learns to fly, what use is the bird? Yeah. So you have to. You oh, have to be a parent so and parent. No, and they, and they get in harm's way, and they have to learn how to deal with it. It is, and I'm telling you this as the fun dad, because my ex is the disciplinarian who's like you get the good job you get to buy them crap and then i get to take it from them you know it's like it's you know it's yeah, so no, that's this real. is coming from someone who's a irrepressible child on the inside and i look in the mirror i'm like who's that old man i'm a child in this babe in the woods but um but it is what it is and so yeah i there's you have to sort of split the delta when it comes to disciplinary and fun person they got to get both from you. So you think these kids are like, they don't have an ability. They don't have the capacity. It's not like us. They're soft. They are. So they can't, they don't have the, there's too much fear to be able to invest in any we, because they're like worried that they just don't even take care of I, no survival. Like eat from a dumpster for 10 minutes and you're going to be talking to phantoms. Like Mm. it's just the way it is. And so I have great, concern and empathy for the young people because I also have three of them nipping at my buds but like I have three perfect children I mean they're unbelievable I could sing the praises my eldest was nominated for an Emmy his second year in the in the sound business sound designer for the fire festival doc on Netflix the viral one literally everyone watched wow so that's my boy he I got to go to Sundance my 22nd Sundance his Second, he's a sophomore. I'm an elder gray beard statesman, but I'm still like jamming on the electric guitar with my kid in front of me. And we are roughly, he's slightly wiser than I am. I have tons more experience, but I'm a child. He's like kind of a cool 20 year old maybe in his head, but he, you know, he's 26 and I'm 52. And that's the way that go. Like he's, he's half the distance to the goal line or whatever. Um, But he's, uh, you know, he's a man more than me. I just get to run the whole business. And he's in sound too? He, uh, well, he is a sound designer for Gigantic. Okay. Uh, I am primarily a filmmaker, so I would consider myself, because uh, I have a, the production company outlasted the post-production, and post is both sound and vision. So sound is but one feature to one part of my uh, entire empire of creative endeavors. So I was looking online, and I found a film that in the, the Google search it said was directed by Brian Devine. Mm-hmm. But then when I went and looked at the film, it, Brian Devine was nowhere on that film. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what film I'm talking about? It was a gigantic pictures film. 
Well, we'll name the picture and I'll tell hands you. Hands and feet or something? See and Oh, something? hands and feet. I did not direct it. I am merely one of the producers of hands Got and feet. Got it. You're listed as a director in the Google search. Oh, um, well, that's a bonus for me. Now, my directorial <laughs> energies are, it is um, my great uh, consternation that I formed a production company so that I would have producers to help me direct. And then in the 23 years I had those producers, I directed a comedy short slash pilot a couple of music videos and some um, docu footage like that have, that has ended up in documentaries. So, so you I, still have this want desire to be a director. I have a burning desire to be a director. Okay. And, um, and you as a newbie stepping up to the plate, that's one of the reasons why I feel like we were insta kindred mm. is that we are both – uh, staring into the grand maw of our future, going, mm-hmm. what are the things that we really need to accomplish? Yeah. And let's start checking them boxes. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's what got us together. And, um, and you know, I just want to throw a little – This is I love talking about myself, believe me. You could have to shoot a trank dart in my neck to stop <laughs> this. But um, what's interesting about you is they often, like, throw about this word gravitas. Like, grav- it's like it's – it's in Latin. It seems fancy, you know, and uh, on and on and on. But whenever I think of gravitas, I always think of someone frowning, going, I'm so smart and <laughs> you're disappointing me with my gravitas over here. It is rarely that you meet a soul whose positive energy, it's a positive gravitas. Like you are so bright in the goodness that you produce that it is Thank gives you. one pause like you're like oh she has like good gravitas <laughs> and so like so i it is an appealing energy one that one wants to like sort of be in a salon at the feet of and pass around discussions around and so the fact that the first words when you met me were, well, first of all, you're doing my podcast. Now let's start our friendship. Um, I now, I feel delighted that now here, and I'll have you know, you've, this is my podcast, Cherry. This is my first podcast. Oh, we've got a virgin so, here. So uh, this is me and you. Um, I have been a very reclusive, enigmatic public figure for 30 years. And so it is rarely that I get uh, out in the sunlight to talk about myself, but uh Again, when we talked about a world devoid of fear, where our heart voices can speak, et cetera, you kind of shoot such light around you that it, it, it brings out everyone's hearts. Oh, thank you. And so that it means that you are preternaturally designed to be able to direct energy on a movie set that needs to be attuned to the positive. Any any of that old energy, that predatory energy, the throw the the, the Scott Rudin throw the phone at the assistant energy, that shit doesn't fly. It's no. bullshit. Just I, and I'm not even being like some idealistic, even though I am wildly idealistic. Say I'm not. Say I was the crassest bottom line pragmatist. You still building backwards from a successful creative venture need to start in a place devoid of fear yes. to get the best result. So say I was madly defensive of the money and was a, just a complete bean counter. I still would need that same starting point. Yet... Everything in entertainment starts from stress, ego, and all of these things that delineate someone's superiority when we are all ultimately a null set that disappears into forever. We are by definition equal. And so as long as we can just treat each other as a non-redundant communion of equals, each 
serving the greater good, then we can lift each other up. Mm. And I feel there's so much of that bottled up inside you that the idea that you'll be on hopefully more and more movie sets sharing that sort of fire hose power of uh, pressure of goodness, the good gravitas, if you will, um, <laughs> is, is, is a remarkable thing. So I just kind of want to come out of my cave and talk into this microphone <laughs> to sort of endorse that part of your path because you're an Thank esteemed you. actor, yes. but you're taking a grand risk right now in your own career. We have to tell them what we're talking about. We're talking about yes. the fact that I, this year, after three years of shadowing um, d- television directors, and, you know, that's a, a, that's, first of all, it's a privilege to get to do it. Most people have to get in one of those programs and uh, apply and compete with a thousand other people from around the world to get in the Sony or the Warner or the CBS program. But because I'm an actress, I had the ability to just call up showrunners and say, hey, I want to shadow. And so they were like, great, you'd be a great director, come and shadow. But then you still have to be able to have the money to be able to fly yourself somewhere and put yourself up and um, and not work for the three to four weeks of, a, of going through pre-production, through edit of a show. So I'm a privileged person. Fear of the Walking Dead's good, but it's not that good. But, you know, you know, I'm a privileged person that I did that for three years. And at the end of it, I didn't feel any closer to getting a job. Like, I knew I could do this job in my sleep, but you know, asking and saying, okay, I'm ready. Can I get the job? It wasn't happening. So I decided to give the job to myself. And I wrote, produced, directed, financed, starred in a feature film called Red Pill with um, Ruben Blades and Kathy Irby and Kathy Curtin and Luba Mason and Odessalo Sakalumi, Kathy Curtin and Colby Menefee, which is going to come out any minute now. And Kathy Curtin's so awesome, she got mentioned twice. Yes. She's a dear, dear friend of mine. I love and Kathy Curtin. And she kills. She's just chewing up the scenery in this movie. I, 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 I um, She is another one of those ones where she's just a big old ball of talent. Yes, yeah, she is. And just a delight. I The other day we did a reshoot and I just put a camera on Kathy and just said, you know, we, we need a shot of you eating bread. Um, bread plays a big part in this movie. And Kathy starts eating the bread. No metaphors there, but go on. <laughs> and she starts eating the bread. And I'm just like, keep the camera going. And then she, the thing she begins to do with this bread, I'm going to find somewhere to put this in the movie because it was just like, it was just fabulous. I didn't write it, but what she did was so fabulous. We're going to find somewhere to put it in the movie. <laughs> and... I'm just, I'm just like basking in the wonderful laughter that, 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 and this is when you access joy is what it sounds like. So everybody just, that sound, that's someone accessing their joy. And it's really important. Um, I mean, there's a broader philosophies. And so I will double back to the we, they conversation, because that was what you posed at the yeah. beginning. And then it was a great structure for a discussion. So even though I have a tendency to wander and meander off Me the side, side tracks, returning to that, they often say in Hollywood, because Hollywood is this monolithic thing that has to move all this money around. Billions of dollars have to sort of go around in a circle. And it is a you know, empty theaters are showing you that kids don't consume this anymore. So it, there's a certain amount of a business and transition that is already sort of a dinosaur. It's mm. a very complex mindscape, which is why it is filled with fear, the deadliest ingredient. So the thing is, so then you talk about the, the, the we and they. 
oftentimes in order to make a living, you have to serve the machine. You have to go in, punch the clock, and give in to the grander demands of the business because at some overarching level, we are all at service to one another, Mm. inclusive of our business, our sector. So I want every movie to be a hit, every popcorn movie. I don't, I'm not like here in my independent outskirts, although I do flip the bird to LA. I want every movie to be a masterpiece. I don't have a, I don't don't have to be a masterpiece. I want everybody to have a chance to have their vision be seen. And so everybody has to sort of help. And so I'm more than happy to put my artists to work on anyone's grander vision mm-hmm. and uh doesn't matter what part of the country it came from i don't care what network what streamer I'll, I'll, you know we're here to serve right at the same level we all have our own dreams our own visions our own stories to tell and so often you'll hear a big hollywood star go i'll do one for us and one for them and i always like well i want to be part of the us then because we is so much stronger than any other pronoun Mm. it is the thing that we need to sort of aspire to is to always be part of a we Mm -hmm. and so when you're playing iron man or whatever you're serving your brand you're serving your bank account you're serving your masters you're serving a lot of other things but like when you go do check off on broadway or whatever the heck it is whatever it is that's your true calling the place where you really access your gift and your joy and the things that really send you Often that is harder to finance, harder to get done, harder to make the true artistic statements land. And that's why we lock arms. We become a we. We float when together. We would sink alone. It's It's just physics. And so I, by setting up my studio as far away from Hollywood with no one in any of that kind of mindset is that, you know, I'll have like a brilliant director like Ramin Barani go make a $100 million movie for Netflix with big international cast and spend four months in India. And I will be blown away that he's doing that. And mad jealous as a director that I'm nowhere near that. And then he'll come running back to do a film uh, in American Sign Language with all non-acting deaf people. And tell us the name. And I don't, we don't have a title, okay. untitled Ramin Barani, brilliant movie. Okay. And then, uh, and then a movie about rural healthcare. Mm-hmm. It's two really important an interesting one and a completely 100% unrepresented group. The deaf are not represented in film at all. And they, American sign language is the third most spoken language and yet is not represented in film at all. Zero percent. Talk about a community that does not get representation. Everyone pause and think about the deaf. If you have a deaf family member, you know how fucked that is. Pardon my French. Are we allowed to curse on this thing? You, we, you, you, can, you, can, you can't, can't say, say that. that. Yes, yeah. you can. The show where um, you can. Yeah. And um, and so there's so it's interesting. And so when Ramin takes me aside and is like, hey man, am I selling out to do the born identity pilot for you know for television? I'm like, you are not selling out. Like you are winning. <laughs> like mm. you are doing one for them that's at a mm. very high level, and then you're able to bring back all that juice and do ever escalating stuff for us, the we, the people the the that are underrepresented, that that live out here in the outskirts of independence. Land. And so it's hard though. It can be very soul murdering doing those days. You know, it's so it's it's a it's an it's an interesting thing. And so that's the us and them. I always want to be part of a we. I always want to be part of a greater good. I always want to reach towards something that's bigger than myself. Malignant narcissism is a plague on our culture. 
and it has to go away. And so we cannot reward fame. We have to reward beauty. That was part one of my conversation with co-founder of Gigantic Pictures, Gigantic Music, Brian Devine. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.